I invite you to stand for the reading of the word today. It is our custom to stand when we read scripture together. Today's passage of, for study is from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. We're just a few verses into the gospel this morning. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People from the whole uh, Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, were going out to him. They were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, had a leather belt around his waist. He ate, you know, things, locusts, wild honey. He proclaimed, the only one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the shoes on the sand, the strings on the sandal. I have baptized you with water, but the one coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, beloved, you. I am well pleased in you. The word of God. You could be seated. And just like that, Jesus is baptized. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us this story of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. Now remember, not all four of these storytellers in the New Testament tell us even about the baby Jesus. Not all of them have a Mary and a Joseph and shepherds in a manger. As one author says, it's really away with the manger in a couple of these storytellers. But all four of them agree on this. Jesus stepped into the Jordan River and was baptized. When Matthew tells the story, it takes him three chapters to get there. When Luke tells the story, about the same. When John tells the story, John with all of his words, it's about three quarters of the way through his first chapter, 30 verses or so. When Mark tells the story, he's like, I can beat you all, we'll get this done in eight verses. And this is the Gospel of Mark. Not that it's a race, but the economy of words. John the Baptist is not the main character. Mark wants us to know. The main character in this story will be Jesus. In eight verses, Jesus is into the water, out of the water, baptized, and on to the next scene. And it is that, that we're done. The baptism is over. There is no parade. There's no costume, there's no Messiah signal that sets Jesus apart from anyone else who's come out from Jerusalem into Judea. Mark wants us to believe the entire city has emptied out into the desert. Jesus walks out from the middle of them, walks into the water, the dove ascends, the voice, and it's over. When storytellers are so brief, this is when artists and creatives go to work. This is actually what Midrash is also in the Jewish tradition. We imagine, we settle, we let it linger. We, what what, what could have this been like? If we were to go to the Getty Museum this afternoon or even better yet, the National Gallery in Washington DC on this holiday weekend, we could find several images 
of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan. Can I give you just a selection of a few of them? We'll, we'll try and move quickly, slowly enough so we can catch the flavor. Here's a Flemish artist. The year, uh, uh, these are all an approximate, this is 1509, Wanda Flanders. So you can catch, look up in the sky, do you see the divinity peeking through? We, we're gonna see that again in the next one. This is the German Anonymous, the great German Anonymous, who imagines all of the characters have joined the party and there is music and celebrating and many signs that acknowledge something's happening with the divine presence here. The next one is the year 1740. We've got a couple of Italian painters here. This one, uh, Baranzio, I'm sorry, this one, a different name I can't pronounce. The year is 1740. Do you see how different? When they begin to imagine the baptism of Jesus, there's no one else present. Where are, are all the crowds? And can you find the dove? And are the heavens open in this one? The next is also Italian. Oh, there we have the heavens peeking open again. There's a divinity from on top and there are two witnesses. And I had to crop the photo so that you don't email me later. <laughs> You're welcome. A parent said thank you. Church is safe for everyone. The next. Venetian Spanish, I'm still trying to understand the, the mixture here. A Venetian Spanish influence painting. The year is 1535, Bourdon. Everyone seems to be doing the baptizing, do you notice? And the last one, all oh, the French. This year is 1641, Poussin. There's no uh, immersion in a river, there's water dribbled from on top, and if you look up in the far left in the sky, there's some kind of evidence of cherubs or the clouds are opening, something's happening there up in the heavens in this picture. And this is exactly what art does, right? Art imagines the stories we read and tries to fill in the blanks and, and take us to the scene. If we were there, what could it have looked like? How would we fill out the picture? This is exactly what the creatives do. Many of these uh, paint details that are nowhere anywhere in the Bible. Did you notice that also? It's the scene we're studying today uh, that we study often in Bible studies at this church all around Christendom. We study regularly this scene of Jesus going into the Jordan and being baptized and it usually leads us to a series of questions. The first series of questions have to do with, well, why? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? I'm guessing you have talked about these things in your circles, if not at your own baptism, the baptism of your children, in study groups, when you have your own Bibles open. Why does Jesus need to be? Well, if he's God, does he need to be? I mean, if baptism is for the repentance and forgiveness of sins, he should have none. If John the Baptist is doing the baptizing, isn't there a little uh, hierarchy there? Like, um, you know, shouldn't Jesus baptize John? Um, clearly Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. This is often how the conversations go. 
Sound familiar when you've talked about it? Why does Jesus need to be baptized? And that leads us to sometimes ask, but then why did he? If he doesn't need to be, why did he get baptized? Well, this is just what the people did. And it, that's not, not true. This is what the people did in all of these different um, options, religious experiences. They, are, they, are, uh, be, they become initiates, right? Initiated into somehow the way of life or the cult or the, the movement. So this is just what people do. Maybe Jesus did this because um, he wanted to fit in. And I don't mean in a crass kind of culturally shallow way. I'm, I'm being serious. Maybe I'm going to show people what the movement looks like. Maybe Jesus does this because it gives credibility to John the Baptist out in the desert. Maybe Jesus did this because he's modeling for the future disciples. Listen, I'm, I'll be gone soon, but, but after this, when you choose to become a part of this movement, something will happen. Truthfully, we, I don't know that we can say with certainty, why did Jesus? These become some of the answers, the ways we talk about it. Jesus goes into the river, he comes up, and the scene is over. Often this is where then we pause when we're doing Bible studies and maybe it's a lecture on baptism right now. Maybe we turn to the fundamental belief Maybe we explore why baptism by immersion as, we're, as adults rather than sprinkling. Maybe this is where we go over the baptismal vows and run through the long list and make sure we understand. Maybe this is where we talk about the rhythm and ritual of life and when and how we choose this and what the commitment will really require. What will it demand? What demand will baptism make on my life? When we study Jesus' baptism, this is often the direction the conversation goes. We turn it into a lesson on baptism. Often we study the baptism of Jesus to understand, actually, our baptism into Jesus. That's what happened today, we just witnessed too. We are baptized into Jesus and in the Jesus way and in this particular church, we are unapologetic that when people are baptized, they are baptized into Jesus. That is the most important thing that's happened this morning with our baptisms, people choosing Jesus, people choosing the Jesus way, people choosing the Jesus movement, people choosing Jesus, that commitment. And second, people choosing a particular community and in a particular expression of the Christian faith, people choosing to become Seventh-day Adventist Christians. That also happens when we choose baptism. Every time we baptize, most of the pastors and the elders and the leaders will ask people, why is it you're choosing to be baptized? We'd like to hear from you. You heard a paragraph or two like that from the water this morning. It's my tradition in these, these uh, 20 years, whether we're baptizing in the Colorado River or down at Corona Del Mar, here, wherever we are, I, I usually ask baptismal candidates to write out a paragraph. Just give me a short paragraph on what this baptism means and why are you doing it here and why in front of all these people, as Zach wondered this morning, what in the world? In 20 years of baptizing people, reading a lot of paragraphs, and I have kept many of them over the years, I have one favorite that stands above and beyond many of the paragraphs that I've read. It's written by Michael Lancaster. This is Michael back in the day, Walton Karen. This, we're gonna guess, Karen, is around 2003 or four. Michael holding his little Adventist ball league trophy. He's a mariner and representing proud. 
Somewhere around in this time, shortly after, Michael was baptized with a little group of his friends. And when I asked Michael to give us a paragraph of Michael, why are you choosing baptism? Why here? Why in front of all of these people? Michael wrote out a very quick and easy sentence. Because I would like my name to be in the church directory thingy. I read it, I said, Michael, this is it? He's like, you know the thing with all the pictures? Why do they put our pictures but they won't print our names? Like in the back, I want my name in the thingy. He's actually not wrong about community, is he? He's actually saying something quite profound about community, isn't he? Why is it we choose baptism, all of us? It's a question we all ask and answer. Jesus is baptized, why? Mark 1, I'm gonna read again, just starting at verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. He's baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as he's coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, I'm, and you, in you, I am well pleased. And it's over, there's no baptism party, there's no great meal the family has made and friends and grandma and gifts and there's no white robe and warm water before all of that, all of white warm, white robes and warm water and grand celebrations with our family. Jesus chooses baptism. Three, three things I would like to notice here, particularly by the way, when that when that dove is done descending, we should not miss the very next thing the dove will do is push Jesus out into the desert where the devil dwells, friends. So with the artist, we could imagine a swooping and swirling and lovely, beautiful white dove, but that dove gets an attitude in the next story and kicks Jesus to the desert with the devil. Why is Jesus getting baptized? Three ideas I'd like to share with you this morning. There's a manifestation of God happening in this story. Epiphanies, we've been calling it these weeks. If you've been here the last couple weeks, we have said that epiphanies are these manifestations of God. These are these moments when God makes God's self known. And usually, quite often in our story, how God makes God's self known through the person Jesus, the man Jesus, and how God then is reconciling and healing and saving all of creation. A manifestation is when God appears. God appears at baptisms. If you were here with the first week, Pastor Raywin said, don't you all want a fresh manifestation of God this year? If you didn't listen to the sermon, listen. I don't know how anyone could answer no to her invitation. And by the way, do you know how many hundreds of churches are featuring sermon series right now called 2020 Vision? Don't you all want a fresh manifestation of God this year? Don't you long for this? Raywin asked us, and she turned to the little epistle in the back of our Bible, 1 John. So beloved, love one another because love is of God, and everyone who loves gets a fresh manifestation of God, which is love, and it saturates and changes our community. Some manifestations from God we can ask for, we can invite, Raywin said. Now last week, Dr. Jackson had a little different idea. Not all manifestations are good, he said. And not all of them do we want. He took us to the, the book of Acts, 
Jesus has left the community. The disciple Peter is here, the same Peter who had traveled and journeyed with Jesus. It turns out Peter gets a manifestation. Peter, whose group identity is based on excluding groups that exclude or isolate themselves from others. Peter gets a fresh manifestation he didn't ask for. Happens to be one of my favorite verses in the New Testament in Acts chapter 10, when Peter, in the middle of all of this, the Holy Spirit hits him upside the head and says, hey, Peter, you're gonna have to rethink this. And Peter says, I really am learning a new thing. Acts chapter 10, go home and read this story, I love that. I'm right here on the spot, oh my word, I'm having a moment, Peter says. I really am learning, there's no partiality, I'm gonna have to have a conversion. Some manifestations, some epiphanies of God, we don't ask for and we don't invite and they're not always comfortable, are they, church? Today, however, we seem to have an epiphany that is between God and Jesus. And I don't wanna miss these three things. It happens in the wilderness. It happens in the wilderness. Mark tells us already that John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and people are streaming out from Jerusalem. That would have our attention if we're real familiar with the Old Testament because the prophets have told us when the new Elijah figure comes, when whatever savior or Messiah shows up, we'll be be streaming into Jerusalem. But Mark has everyone going out to Jerusalem and John the Baptist is out, out of Jerusalem, way out in the desert by the River Jordan and Mark's so sure that they're in the wilderness that not only are they in the desert with the river, but when Jesus then is kicked out by the Spirit, he goes out into the wilderness. I mean, aren't we already in the wilderness? Can you go further out into the wilderness? Apparently you can in this story. The the wilderness is important. Epiphanies happen in the wilderness. And when I read wilderness in the Bible, I wanna tell you it's a trigger alert for me. I pay very close attention to wilderness stories. When I was finishing my master's degree at La Sierra University, they sit you down and have you take this bulk of comprehensive exams. This is after all the coursework, right? I go into the divinity school, I sit down, I will spend about three hours now answering questions. Most of them are essay format, shorter ones, and then a couple of long ones, one very long one. They give me my paper, they send me upstairs into La Sierra Hall on the third floor, they set me at a desk, here's a terminal, and I have a computer and I can type, and they say, go. My master's degree is in the area of New Testament studies and ethics, so I answer all the short essay questions, and now it's time for the larger ones. My options are to choose between four stories of Jesus, pick whichever one you want, the lost sheep and the lost coin, and choose, here's four stories and then we're to do a careful, close, critical reading. We're to do a careful, close, critical reading. That means unpack all the things they just taught you in the last five years. No problem. I look at the four stories, I look around. I have to know all these stories? I have to remember them all? I have to know all the detail? Like my little heart starts to I'm having palpitations, I'm starting to sweat, my heart rate, I'm like, calm down, breathe deep, it's gonna be all right. 
I go through the stories again. I pick the one in the wilderness because I know something about the wilderness. The wilderness is where the wild things are. The wilderness is a location. It means something, right? So I begin to unpack all that I know about the wilderness where things get parched and dry. The wilderness where Israel sojourned for so many years. The wilderness, geography, theology, the wilderness, every kind of metaphor. I, can, I just write and write and write and write and write. I'm gonna go with the wilderness story. I'm gonna pray I got it right. Three hours later, I take my exam, I turn it into my supervising professor. He says, thank you. I exhale and I say to him in a kind of a whisper, I mean, I know it's a master's degree, but I didn't really expect we'd have to memorize all the stories from the Bible, like all of them in the New Testament. Do you expected me to know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? He's like, no, 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 you just read it from the text. I said, there is no Bible in the room. Like, there's no Google. There is no Bible app on the, lap, on the computer up there. He said, oh, you just come and ask us for a Bible. No problem. Here, we give you a Bible. <laughs> I could have had a Bible. I could have had a Bible. Like I want my tuition dollars back. I could have had a Bible. So you will understand when I read wilderness, I have a little trigger. (laughs) And I don't forget what happens in the wilderness. The wilderness is a real location for God's people. In the wilderness, you know they soldiered. You know the faith that was tried in the wilderness. In the wilderness, a fresh manifestation of God happened this day. We shouldn't miss that. Out in the wilderness, God is doing a God thing. We shouldn't miss miss a couple of other things about this passage. Read again the text with me. When Jesus comes out of the water, I want to notice this. In those days, he came from Nazareth. He's baptized. Just as he's coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens, what? Torn apart. The word in the original language is schizo. It's where we get our word schism. When Jesus comes up out of the water, we could imagine the heavens, the cosmos, the firmament, the skies, the clouds, however your mind can picture it. Those little artists, they kind of had like a divinity peering through the clouds. Schizo, the word means to tear apart, to split open, to divide. Something is being torn open. There is literally a God tearing open the heavens to be in the moment with Jesus. There is something going on between God and Jesus. We can't tell from the story if everybody there that day could actually experience this too. Whatever it is, schizo is a big word where we get our word schism. It's only used another, one other time in Mark's story. The next time we get this word, it's when Jesus lays dying on the cross. You know that? And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, and at the moment Jesus dies, Mark's gospel, gospel uh, chapter 15 says, Jesus gives a loud cry and a curtain of the temple is torn. The moment Jesus dies on the cross, the barriers between heaven and earth, the barriers humans put in place in the story, all that we do to complicate things, as Theo would say, God tears through it all to show up and be present. 
It happens in the desert with Jesus. God tears through, literally tears through. I'm trying to imagine what that looks like, God tearing through the sky to say, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am, I am with you, you are my beloved. That's an epiphany. We shouldn't miss that. Heaven and earth, all of this are God's territory. There is no separation between what's happening in heaven and what's happening on earth. All of the drama belongs to God. Third, I wanna notice again, a voice comes from heaven. After things are torn apart, a voice comes. We don't know, again, Mark doesn't tell us. <laughs> he's such an economy of words. He's, not, he's a great storyteller and he doesn't use a lot of words. Did everyone hear the voice? Did only Jesus hear this voice that comes bellowing through? Because when there's a voice in the Gospel of Mark, it's not a quiet little inside voice. This is a bellowing, loud voice. This is a voice that tears through the air and falls on our ears. When we read voice in the Gospel of John, we should imagine this. So there's been a voice crying in the wilderness. That's John the Baptist, right? That's not a little inside voice. And when this scene is done with Jesus in the Jordan, there'll be a man crying out with an unclean spirit. There'll be someone else crying out and pushing back against Jesus. Every time we read a voice in Mark's storytelling, it's a loud, bellowing, crying, present voice. It's not, like, it's not like the loudest voice in the office or the loudest voice at the party or it's not that angry, raging voice, church. This is a persistent, deep, bellowing presence. It's not, a, it's not the little uh, PP or MP, it's the, what is it, fatissimo or some FF? It's the FF. Fortissimo, the musicians say. It's that choir. It's when your director says, give me everything you've got kind of from the belly forward. It's that kind of a voice when Mark describes a voice coming from heaven. At this moment, Jesus comes up out of the water. It's not a whisper. When we read the story carefully, we put all of this together out in the wilderness where it's the realm of danger, out in the wilderness where the wild things are, out in the wilderness where we seem to be out of reach of God, where things shrivel and die, way out there, God tears open the foundations of the world and emerges on the scene with Jesus to shout out to Jesus, I see you. I see you, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine. Beloved, beloved, beloved. This is an epiphany. This one between Jesus and God with ramifications for all of us. If Jesus is God's beloved, so are you and you and you and you and all of us, church. This is a manifestation. God cannot stay at arm's distance. The baptism of Jesus proclaims, listen, heaven has a bias, get over it. Heaven will always be in favor of creation. It's not quiet or tiny. There's nothing about this claim that Jesus makes, that God makes towards Jesus that's neutral or passive or even polite or proper, epiphanies from God on behalf of God's creation will come bombarding into the story. Isn't it beautiful? 
No one can be confused what God loves when we read these stories in the Bible. God loves us. God will always be our biggest advocate. This is what epiphanies show us. It was another baptism years ago here. I see you here, David and Michael. It was a baptism a long time ago now. Michael's sitting here today, Michael raised in this church. It's been a long time since we've shared this story. Michael watched a lot of people be baptized in this baptistry over the years, including his sister Megan. Every time someone was baptized here, and you know what we do here, church, how we just erupt in applause? Michael would applaud too. Every time there was a baptism, Michael, you had a broad, big smile on your face. It was real, it came from a deep place. Many of us know Michael growing up in this church that his body doesn't work the way the other bodies worked and that when we took children places, Michael couldn't always go and that when we're eating pizza and ice cream, Michael didn't get to eat and that Michael's family, to keep him safe and, and, uh, and well, would often have to say, no, Michael, no, no. Because for a kid with cerebral palsy, this is what life can be like. And Michael brought his body along everywhere we, I remember sitting at an Angels game right next to Michael. Everywhere we went, Michael attempted to go. Kept his eyes on this baptistry as the years rolled by. It became clear one year, he told his mother, he made it very clear, not with a lot of words, but with a lot of vocalization, that Michael intended on getting in the baptistry. Can a kid with CP really be baptized? We had conversations. But Michael had been practicing at home. They have a bathtub. It's a perfect place to baptize. Michael would get himself in the water. As I remember the story, David, Michael would put himself in the water and go up and come down and go up and come down. And when he'd come out of the water, it was very clear he was baptizing himself and he was practicing and preparing. Michael planned to get baptized. So now it's just the adults in the room. Can we really do this? Can we really do this? Because we've also never been in the water together and we don't know if the water's gonna scare Michael. We don't know if all of you are gonna scare Michael. Have you stood up there and looked back at you? So David got in the water with me that day. We thought, well, we'll do it as safely as possible. I stood on one side and David stood on the other and Michael stood in between us. And Michael, that big smile was on your face when we got into the water and that big smile from almost ear to ear lasted for a little while until Michael got into the front center of the water and he realized we're standing in a lot of water. And I could see the fear in his eyes and I prayed a Holy Spirit prayer on that moment. Can we just please God get through this baptism? Please keep Michael calm, can we get through this baptism? And I begin to talk a little faster and I put the, the cloth here and I put my hand here and in the name of God your creator Jesus, here we go and I begin to push Michael's head back underwater and Michael began to push on my hand. <laughs> well, we're not going underwater today. No, Michael, we're kind of going to go underwater now. Remember, this is what we practice for. It's going to be okay, Michael. The more I pushed, the more Michael stiffened up. 
The more I pushed, and David was right here with me, and I'm starting to pray. I know it's baptism by immersion, but could it be a baptism by a little bit of wet hair today? If we just get a little bit of the hair today, will it be enough? Please, can we get any of the hair wet today? And I'm pushing and Michael's pushing and I'm pushing and Michael's pushing. A little bit of the hair got wet. I let go. Michael jumps up like a jumping jack out of that water. And when Michael comes up out of the water, his hand goes just like this up into the air. And his fist is like, yes, yes, yes. I just got baptized. Because everybody can get in the water. Because don't let the projections of humans eclipse the promises of God. Epiphanies are for all of us. Whatever your desert is this morning, epiphanies are for all of us. The manifestation of God's love is for every one of us here today. Church, come on, there's no better news in the Bible. What happens if the church of Christ actually trusted that God is for us? That God never changes God's mind? On your worst day this week, did you have one? I've had a few. On our best day this week, God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. Church, God is for us. Amen.